Hi everybody, this is Dr. Scott Powell from The Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys, and I want to thank you all so much for listening to our podcast. Father Peter and I are both on vacation this week and a little bit of summer relaxation, um, so we have a rerun for you from all the way back in 2014. And just the one disclaimer I want to put on this is, as I was listening back to this podcast, this was a long time ago. Father and I were younger. The podcast was younger. So there is some levity and some humor in the podcast that doesn't necessarily reflect the, the kind of difficult times that we're in right now. So it's summer vacation. We're on a little break. So sit back and enjoy an old episode that talks about the readings that we have coming up for the 15th Sunday of Ordinary Time. The readings remain the same, which is beautiful in the plan of God. So enjoy an oldie but a goodie, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody. You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect life. What's up? I was, I wasn't expecting that <laughs> when we started the podcast. Yeah, yeah, dude. Hello, everybody. Hello, Father Peter and everybody. Go! Dude, I knew that was coming. This is the Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. I'm Scott Powell. And Father Peter Musset. And we're super excited that you've joined us today for a totally lanky adventure into the scriptures. Totally lank. Totally lank. Dude, I don't know what a lanky adventure is, but I think that this might qualify. Of course it does. I know what a lanky adventure is. We have it every week. Oh, yes. Do we? Dude, we have it every... We have it every day. Every day. Because we have to live in these bodies. Yep. These bodies of death. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who will save me from this body of death? Dude, I don't know. Jesus is the answer. Oh, that sounds like a <laughs> bumper Romans. sticker. What's a passage from the Bible? So the 15th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Anybody's feast, anybody's feast day today that we're forgetting? Um St. Henry II. Oh. You don't know, hear about him a lot. <laughs> you, you know what you have to do today, though, in honor of St. Henry II? What? You have to eat a no Henry bar. Oh, Henry. Henry. Do they even make those anymore? I don't know, dude. <laughs> I don't even, I don't know if I've actually even had a no Henry bar. I don't think I have. I, can't, I cannot come up, I cannot muster the taste in my mouth. I cannot muster the taste. Oh, dude. All um, right. All right. Um, so I've discovered something today. Okay. What? Um, that we're going to be talking about Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. Oh, you're really jumping in. <laughs> Did you really have? Did I? Did you just? Did I make you feel bad? Did you actually have something to say? Something else? No, to no. Say no I was. Come? I. I was actually going to do that little. That little. Uh, that little trick that Great. you just saw. Can you say it again? Because I. I missed it. Yeah, um, we're gonna read the book of Isaiah. The whole thing. Uh, well, actually, specifically, just the fifty-fifth chapter, verses ten and eleven. Very good. And our responsorial psalm this week comes from Psalm sixty-five, verse yeah. ten. 11, 12 through 13, and 14. And um, the um, uh, response actually comes from Luke uh, uh, chapter 8, verse Luke 8. Luke 8, 8, you're right. Very good. Yeah, it, it, which is kind of like if Luke um, had two meals at once. Is it? Yeah. Just say it. Luke 8, 8. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, the, then our second reading is, is Romans 8, 18 to 23. Okay. And um, our gospel comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, which is very long. That's a, that's a long form. In case um, your parish uses the short form, it's 13, 1 through 9. Yeah. But, um, but we're not going to. But just like that. the Germans would say, just say no. Just say nine. 
Ah, get it? That's exactly what I was going for. Ah, I liked it. Okay, so I have a question for you. Yes, please ask me. Are we going to flip it around? Are we going to start from the back to the front? I don't know what to do because I... Back it up, back it up. I don't know. What do you think? Dude, this is the thing. Let's just do it backwards. Okay, backwards. Backwards day. Backwards day. Okay, so as soon as... We want you to pause the podcast now, and we want you to take and put all your clothes backwards. Oh, for Pete's sake. And like, do it like, um, like what was the crisscross? Uh, crisscross. Jump, jump. Daddy, make him make you jump, jump. jump. Uh huh, uh huh. Yeah. So, so just, just letting you know, today's backwards day, and lanky guys. And if you're gonna really, if you're gonna in- embrace the podcast, do it, and then you can post a picture of you wearing your clothes backwards Please on don't. our Facebook profile. Please. Oh, okay. That's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> Nobody will, and now we're gonna feel awkward. Yeah, that would be totally awkward. I'll do it. Well, we'll forget about it. Two weeks from now, until somebody actually like puts their clothes on backwards and puts it on the Facebook, and oh, then we're gonna be like, gosh. "This is this was awkward." What are they doing? Yeah, we'll feel bad about ourselves. Okay, yeah. Matthew thirteen. So here's the thing. Um, let's just go for it. On that yeah. day, Jesus went out of the house and he Which sat down day? by the sea. That day, such large crowds. Got, I'm not totally <laughs> sure. Such lo- well, it, it is connecting us to chapter twelve. Which is the <laughs> that was the weakest explanation I've ever heard you give. <laughs> you put me I, on the spot. I didn't mean to, man. Yeah, you did. I kind of did. Oh um, yeah, it's the uh, ooh. Oh yes, no, I actually do know that. Okay, okay, sorry, I do know this. It's the Beelzebul incident. So remember? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When uh, it's when Gennesaret. Yes. So he's casting out demons. A group of Pharisees and scribes come up and they say, well, he's only casting out demons by the power of Satan. Yes. And that it's that moment on that day that Jesus begins to speak in parables. Now, here's the thing. If I simply asked the question, I shouldn't have said that yet, but if I simply said the question to you, any Joe Schmo Catholic anywhere around the country, I said, hey, what style does Jesus usually teach with? You would say? Parables. Parables. That's what everybody says. Oh, Jesus speaks in parables. Jesus hasn't said a single parable until chapter 13 of Matthew. It's been, what, did you pull a tooth out of your mouth? <laughs> no, I was. What was that sound? That was disturbing. <laughs> I, it, it was the microphone hitting the plastic thing. Okay. Yeah. It, it, lo- it probably looked, there was a lot it of combination. Bad. There. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, he hasn't spoken in parables yet. Because, par- <laughs> what? The sound, uh, just have yeah, music on the sound. Parables are not Jesus's normal version of teaching. And we'll talk about why in a second. So on that day, on the day that, so. If you picture the scene, Jesus has been teaching for a while now. He's had varying degrees of success. Like some people are listening. There's crowds following him. Sometimes they reject him. There's scribes and Pharisees constantly kind of trying to get him. At this point, things have sort of escalated. The tension between Jesus and outside groups has escalated, and it hits a pinnacle in chapter 12. I mean, it's it's one thing to reject Jesus. It's one thing to say he doesn't know what he's talking about, to call him a false prophet, you know, just to, just to ignore him. It's another thing to say that he's working for Satan, which, which is which, what they say in chapter 12. Which some people would actually postulate is the only unforgivable sin. If you don't believe that there is a God who can forgive your sins, then that's unforgivable. If you don't believe that Jesus who is offering to forgive, the, yes, because he says that there, doesn't he? Is that is that where that happens? I can't remember. I think it is. Yeah, I okay. think it is. But that's where we are. So things have heated up quite a bit. Does that make sense? Yes. Things have heated up. And on that day, Jesus went out of the house, down by the sea. He such like crowds. He was so hot, he needed to cool He off. needed to cool down and to see. 
He got into a boat, and he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the shore, and he spoke to them at length in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some of the seed fell on path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. It sprang up. Some fell on the sun and scorched it, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, no, no, not et cetera, et cetera. Hold on. Okay. As he I'm sowed, some on. of the seed fell on the path. The birds yeah. came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground where it had little soil, and it sprang up because of the uh, it sprang up at once because the soil was not deep, and the sun scorched it for lack of roots. Some seed fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it. Some seed fell on rich soil, and it produced fruit a hundred or sixty or thirty-fold. Whoever has ears ought to hear. Now, parables have this great ability to conceal and reveal simultaneously. Yes. Um, what Jesus—didn't this—did we just have the parable of the sower a couple of weeks ago in Mass, wasn't it? No, I feel I, like I heard this parable recently. Maybe the priest you, related you were probably to something t- else. Teaching on it. Or something. <laughs> oh, that was you. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it was, but um, so here's here's sort of what's going on. This is connecting it to the Old Testament a little bit. I think there's two levels of meaning to this story. On one level, so who is the who is the sower? Who is the gardener, the vineyard planter? Always in the Old Testament. Father. God. God the Father is always described as a gardener or a sower or a vineyard planter or something like that. Yes. So if Jesus is telling this parable, in the story, God is the sower. He's sowing. What is he sowing? Well, in the Gospel of Matthew, what he's been sowing, well, let's take it back to the Old Testament, because I think there's an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. In the Old Testament, God, who is the sower, is constantly trying to build his people, right? And he's trying to grow Israel. He's trying to love them. He's forming covenants with them. And again and again and again, they reject him. His covenants, his love, his promises fall on what? Rocky ground or path or, you know, thorns. And it gets choked out. The same exact thing is happening in Jesus's ministry. So he's sowing the seeds of the kingdom of heaven. He's preaching about this. He's trying to bring people in. And it's falling on varying degrees of deaf ears, right? Some people are kind of excited, but there's no roots. And so they're scorched out. Other people are getting strangled by the Pharisees and the scribes. You know, other people, it's just falling on paths and birds are taking it away. They don't even care. So in a certain level, this parable is describing Jesus's ministry. If you're reading Matthew carefully, you're like, oh, this is totally what's happening. And now it's it's escalated to the point where they're actually putting him in league with Satan, which is where if you were just reading the Gospel of Matthew for the first time, you might be thinking to yourself, geez, is this guy, is his message ever going to take? Are people ever going to listen to this guy? You know, this is crazy if you don't know how the story ends. And in this parable, it says, well, no, there will come a time when the seed is going to fall on rich soil and it's going to produce fruit 160 and 30 fold. All these things. It will bear fruit, just like in the Old Testament, even though they rejected him and it was taken away and it was strangled, all these things. Eventually, the word of God and the people of Israel will bear fruit. So I think that's one of the ways you can look at this parable. Does that make sense? Yeah. But here's where it gets weird. The disciples approached him and said, why do you speak in parables? So here's, here's the kicker for me. How do we all think that Jesus usually teaches? In parables. In parables. Here, halfway through the book, the disciples say, wait, Jesus, why right. are you speaking in parables? Yeah, because he just launched in. I mean, Because like, he doesn't do that. No. That's I not mean, his teaching style. He, this, this is the thing. And, and yes. part of the reason why we think that he just teaches in parables is that he actually will argue by analogy. So he'll use the, the idea of fruit. So what is bearing good yeah. fruit? There is a yes. tree and it bears fruit. Yes. Um, so so there's a lot of analogous and poetic language that he's yeah. using in agricultural imagery. Totally. But imagery is not a parable. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's, it's, exactly. It's, it's an illusion. It's I am the vine, it's an you are the branches is not a parable. That's a metaphor. No. It's a beautiful one. It's a, it's a um, but fecundant one. A fe- nice. Nice. Dude, boom. Mic drop. Like... <laughs> 
That was my. That Thanks, was man. that was a bad. Sound no, it was effect. good. It was good. Um, but but now in parables, you're actually looking, and there's a lot of content in the middle of this because it's yes. there, there's hidden stuff, and yeah, and um, and whoever has ears ought to hear. So well, so let's let's look at the question they ask. So they say, okay, wait, we don't get it, Jesus. Why are you speaking in parables? Yes. That's weird to us. Which again. Just sit on that for a while, because how all of us were raised is that that's how Jesus teaches. He does do a lot of parables. In in fairness, he says a lot of parables, but it doesn't happen until this point, until yes. halfway through. Okay, so why do you speak in parables? He said to them in reply, listen carefully, listen. because knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been granted to you, but to them it has not been granted. To anyone who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. From anyone who has not, even what he, even what he has will be taken away. So this is why I speak to them in parables. Here's the answer. Because they look but do not see and hear but do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, They shall indeed hear but never understand. They shall indeed look but never see. Gross is the heart of this people and heavy. uh, Gross is the heart of this people. They will hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. They see with their eyes. They hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and be converted. What? Dude, uh, I think the record something happened to the recording. Would it you did? Che- would you check? No, we're good. Okay, something changed in the headphones. Oh, I tried to. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, fine. Um, I don't like this translation very much. Let me read to you what it says uh, in my translation. In my translation. Um, so it's it's what. So does that think about this? Sit on that for a second. So they said, okay, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? He says, oh, this is why I speak in parables, because they don't hear or see or understand. Because seeing, they don't see, and hearing, they don't hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, this is the case, the, the, in their case, the prophecy of Zay is fulfilled. You will indeed hear, but not understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. With their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. So pause there for a second. So, they're, so, so on the face value, if you're the disciples, you don't know what's going on anyway. Why does Jesus speak in parables? What was his answer to them? Is that these people are, are they're already, their they're, um, presupposition is that they're closed off. So why speak in parables? Do parables make, so all of our sort of pat answer, why does Jesus speak in parables? Oh, because they're easy to understand. Isn't that sort of the answer that everybody gives for why Jesus speaks in parables? Probably, yeah. Parables are easy. I've, I've done this. I've said it in classes. I was like, why do you think Jesus speaks in parables? Because parables are easy to understand, right? No, it's exactly the opposite. It's the exact opposite, which everything that you're hearing this Sunday should confuse you completely because it's going to twist everything that we know about Jesus and think about him on its head. Yes. Like, wait, no, Jesus speaks in parables because he wants everyone to understand what he's saying. No, Jesus says, I speak to them in parables because they're blind and deaf, and I want to keep them that way. What, what, no, they're willfully blind and they're willfully, willfully deaf. Will, absolutely, that's incredibly important. Yes. But does Jesus want to take them out of that? No. No. That's the key. They've made themselves blind and deaf, and he says, fine. So I'll speak to them in parables so they won't understand. This is where we have to pause now and say, okay, what's going on? This is where we have to begin to unpack. Yeah. Because this is weird. This is confusing. This is not like what we sort of expect to see. Um, again, it's one thing. Think about where we are in the story. It's one thing to reject Jesus. It's one thing to think that he's misleading people. It's one thing to think he's an idiot or a crazy man or whatever. It's another thing entirely to think that he's in line with Satan himself. 
they've brought themselves, the they of the story have brought themselves to a pretty far gone place. They have hardened themselves profoundly. S- profoundly. I mean, like that's the, they're calling God Satan. They are. Now, um, when I was a focus missionary way back, um, I was a focus missionary at the same time that the movie The Passion of the Christ came out. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've heard of it. I heard um, that movie. We rented out a movie theater in Montana where I was a missionary, and they sent us all this promotional material on posters and stuff. And I remember they sent us one of these big posters. You remember it had, like, the backlit cross on it, and it said Mel Gibson at the top. And it said, you know, the Passion of the Christ. And the tagline at the bottom was something to the effect of, his reason for living was dying. And I remember not knowing why, but at the time I didn't like that. I didn't like that line. I was like, his reason for living was dying. That doesn't make sense. And the more I studied, the more I've begun to look at this stuff, that's utterly not true. Jesus' reason for living, if Jesus' reason for becoming incarnate was to die, he could have done it as an infant. He could have done it when the people tried to throw him off the cliff. He could have done it when the people tried to stone him. Jesus spends most of the Gospels evading death, escaping death. Absolutely. He didn't just come to die. He actually came to do something. And once he did that something, then he could go and die and rise again and fulfill our salvation. Then his hour came. Right. But Jesus knows that if he speaks plainly to these scribes and Pharisees who call him Satan or working with Satan, his death is going to come prematurely. And he's got a church to establish first. He's got a kingdom to build on earth. He's got Peter to give the keys to. He's got a lot to do before he can head to the cross. So Jesus, I think, speaks in parables because he needs to veil his identity until it's time. And actually in chapter 16, when he gives the keys, Uh it goes on to say, then Jesus began to reveal himself. And then he begins to make his way to Jerusalem. And then eventually he'll let it all hang out and he'll go to the cross a couple days later. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, I want to I, I was hesitating about this, but I want to connect this to Isaiah. Okay. Not the first reading from Isaiah, which I was hoping it would be a different first reading, but it's not. And that's okay. But there's another first I actually want to go back to what Jesus quotes, which is okay. still Isaiah, so it's it's still applicable. Okay. What Jesus quotes though, Isaiah, Isaiah what? It's chapter 6. Isaiah 6. Um, let me find it real quick. So, he says, you know, it's just like with these people, it's just like I, the people of Isaiah's time, right? He says, they will hear and hear and never understand. They will see and see and never understand, blah, blah, blah. Remember all that? Yeah, yeah. They, they, so, they will see and not understand. And Yeah. So that comes from Isaiah chapter 6. So go to Isaiah 6 really quick. Isaiah 6. Remember the context of Isaiah 6? Yes. It's really cool. What's going on in Isaiah 6 at the beginning? Oh, shoot. I don't remember. Um, you do. You will. So it's that scene. Remember Isaiah? This is 6, 8. Yeah. Isaiah is a holy man. And Isaiah, um, he's, he's really good, right? He's a holy, he's a faithful prophet. And he and Isaiah 6 is caught up into the throne room of God. Yeah. Remember, he's caught into the throne room and he's, he's standing in God's throne room. And he's like, oh boy. And his first response once he realizes where he is, is woe is me for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Yes. I shouldn't be here because I'm not worthy to be in the midst of this. By the way, why does Isaiah say he's not worthy? For my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. That's not what he's worthy of doing, but why? Why is he not worthy to see for his eyes to see the because, King? Because he lives in a culture that's messed up. Isn't that kind of profound? Yeah. Isaiah um, sees himself as tied in with the guilt of his people. Isaiah's holy. He's righteous. He's a good man. But he sees himself as unfit because he's got solidarity with the people around him. He's like, my culture's terrible. They're awful. And I can't be, I'm not, it's not just me against them. I'm not circling the wagons. I'm a part of them. It's like Moses in Exodus, remember? Yeah. When God's like, you can come with, I'll go with you, but I'm done with all these people. And Moses is like, no, you're stuck with us. 
we're Man. your people, which, which is kind of profound. Which is profound, especially for an American culture, isn't where, it? Where where we're suburban, we're isolated from each other, and we like yeah. are progressively more and more disidentifying ourselves with our government, with Absolutely. our president, with our with each other, with uh, with the church. It's the rebel. It's the it's the 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 determiner, the arbiter of all things becomes the individual, not and no relationship to the collective. But we tie that to the church. I mean, how many of us, even faithful in the church, you know, we open the paper, we look in the internet, we're like, oh. Those idiots over there. Can you believe what those people are doing yeah. in the government or on campus or these people, right? It's us and them. We don't associate ourselves like we are a sinful people. We need prayers. We need God's mercy. Yes. Which is how Isaiah sees it, which is a very humble way to see it. Yeah. So, anyway, he says, okay, I'm not worthy because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So, remember what happens? He said, God uh, sent one of the seraphim. To take um, uh, over to the barbecue, over to the barbecue, <laughs> take the little smokies off the grill. <laughs> <laughs> but he, <laughs> uh, that kills me. So the word seraphim literally means the burning ones. You know this whole thing, right? No. Seraphim means the burning ones. They're the ones that are closest to God's throne. So literally, you know, at least described in the Old Testament, these angels are on fire. And I think it's funny that one of the burning ones has to use tongs to take the charcoal off of the the hibachi. Isn't that weird? <laughs> it is weird. Anyway, he takes tongs and he takes this charcoal and he touches it to Isaiah's lips, right? Yeah. So what was Isaiah's problem? I have unclean lips and I'm in the midst of a people of unclean lips. His lips, the source of the sin of the people, goes through suffering to be purged. And once that happens, he says, okay, I'm ready to go now. Because I've su- I mean, that would have been painful, presumably. Yeah. So he suffers. And after that happened, God says, okay, your, your lips are clean. Your guilt is forgiven. Your sin's gone. And I heard the voice, this is Isaiah uh, 6, 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here, here am I. I am, Lord. Lord. Aren't you lucky, Lord? Sorry. Is that not cool? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> That's um, awesome, though. You no, know, he says, here I am, Lord, where that song comes from. Send me. And he said, okay, good. Go and say this to the people. And this is what Jesus quotes. Hear and hear, but do not understand. See and see, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn to me to be healed. So God says, I want a messenger. Isaiah's like, I'll go. What do you want me to say? He says, I want you to make these people blind and deaf and dumb and not understand or else they'll turn to me to be healed. Yeah, what? Uh, So if you were Isaiah, what would your response be? What? Right, that would be mine too. I'd be like... I would say, well, what would your question be? I'd be like, why? Why, right? But that's not what Isaiah asks. What's Isaiah's question? How long? How long? Oh, Lord. So he understands... Stay with me on this. He understands that this is a temporary reality. They're going to be blind and deaf and not understand until something happens. So if you read on... So he says, how long, oh, Lord? And what God goes on to say is, well, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, the land becomes utterly desolate. The Lord removes men from far away. Even though a tenth remain, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. So how long are they going to be blind and deaf and not understand? Well, God says, until the land is desolated, until the, the kingdom is destroyed. Now, who represents the kingdom? The king. The king. So in Jesus' case, if you were to fast forward and Jesus says, I want them to be blind and deaf and non-understand, just like Isaiah, and you understand what Isaiah is saying, then your answer, if you were a good disciple, would be, how long, Jesus? What's the answer? 
until everything is destroyed. Until the kingdom is destroyed, until the land is destroyed. Who embodies the kingdom? But the king himself. When do the people finally start to understand what Jesus was saying? Well, right when Jesus, I mean, we have Longinus at the cross. One person understands. One, one person understands. At the destruction of the king. Well, Pentecost. And then at Pentecost, when people finally start to get it. But they only get it. They only see and hear and understand after the king who embodies his land, his kingdom, is obliterated, is destroyed. The king is destroyed, then they get it. Which is 40 days. Yeah. Does that make any sense? It makes sense. Dude, it's blowing my mind. I really wanted to talk about this because I think it's so so exciting because the the whole key lies in how long, O Lord. The whole key lies in how long, O Lord. And that's the key to the parable of the sower, too. Because there's going to be, so that, that's what he's saying. He's describing his life and his passion. I'm going to sow these seeds. I'm going to spread this word. Some are going to, you know, kind of have it picked away. Some are going to ignore it. Birds are going to steal the others. But eventually, eventually it'll take. And the question, if you're listening to that parable, should be, how long, oh Lord? How long until those seeds take? And the answer is, until the king is destroyed, literally. Right? Until the seeds go into the earth and die. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, and then they are raised up again. Now, if the seeds are going into the ground and dying, how are they going to be raised up again? This is where I want to fat backward, go back to the first reading. Oh, baby, so if oh, you've I got, love what we're doing. If you've got that in mind, the seeds are going into the ground. How do mm-hmm. seeds grow? Well, look at the first reading, Isaiah 55, 10. Thus says the Lord, just as from the heavens, the rain and the snow come down and do not return there until they have watered the earth to make it it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, my mouth, the word shall not return to me void, but it shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. Ah. I think that only the reason I I just so wanted to do it backwards is because that that only makes the full. I mean, that in light of everything Jesus says changes everything. To start with it, I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't give the impact of like okay, right. It, which this is the thing is the, the heavens and the snow and all of these things. It, it's that it, it's it's saying. All yeah. of creation is actually working to make this fruitful. Right. The the the, the heavens. Right. It's it's the every, cosmologically. It's all of what is above is affecting what is below. And yeah. And so it's so it's like and all of these things are being accomplished. And you've just described the psalm, I think. Yes. Which is again, it takes um, it, it takes something from from Luke. The seed that falls on good ground will yield a fruitful harvest, which is Jesus' words. But then just what you said, you have visited the land and watered it. You have enriched it. God's watercourses are filled. You prepared the grain. You prepared the land. You drenched its furrows. All of earth is cooperating with all of heaven for God's word to become, to become fruitful. Right? Yes. Isn't that what you said? Yes. You said something like that. Yes. Which was cool. Which is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Which is interesting because, I mean, we were having a discussion not too long ago about how... Um, like, how do you say things that need to be said that are difficult, and when do you say them? Because mm. th- this mm. is this is always the question of like, well, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you holding back and bringing forward? I mean, oh. like, there is there's a certain sense in which um, Christians can can lack strategy sometimes and just be too <laughs> strategy, too too um, out there, too obvious, and not actually 
hold things back when they need to be held back and bring things forward when they need to be brought forward. But to just say, no, no, I'll just be totally unadulterated at all times and that'll be effective. Yes. But no, there's actually, there's rain and there's snow, there's seasons, there's there's these things when Jesus speaks in parables because he's actually trying to accomplish something. Yes. He has a real goal and he knows that if if it becomes too obvious in yes. the middle of all of this, then it's it, it's actually not the right time. Like snow yes. comes down because in a cold season, we need to grow roots. But in the yes. rainy summertime season, you need to grow leaves. And th- there's a two two very different ways of approaching things as roots and leaves. And um, and but they are they are all going towards fruitfulness. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. And then exactly what you said is Paul gives a commentary for in the second reading, right? Yeah. It's like the second reading. So brothers and sisters, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are as nothing compared to the glory to be revealed to us. So uh, how does a seed bear any fruit? Well, it has to go into the ground and die. How does a Christian bear any fruit, really? It's to suffer in the image of Jesus himself, to carry our cross. Yeah. That's how it happens. And then Paul goes on to even say, for creation itself, creation is awaiting with eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. I love that line. What is it that creation is actually waiting for? The revelation of the children of God. So what's creation waiting for? The revelation of the children of God. So what's creation waiting for? What does that mean? Uh, you know what I've struggled Who with. Who is creation to waiting I mean, I to be saved by? Jesus. Us. What? No, I say no because it's our, not because we're gods or anything, but God has already, Jesus has already saved creation. He's already redeemed the world, has he not? Yeah, absolutely. He's already reconciled all things back to himself. We can't see the fullness of it, but he has done it. Yeah. So what is creation waiting for? I don't know. Us. The revelation of the sons of man. For us to get our acts together. To figure out what it actually means to cooperate with the created order that Christ has already restored. It's waiting with eager longing not to be saved by Jesus because it already has been. It's waiting for us to actually understand what it means to be his princes and princesses in the kingdom. To be his stewards in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's rich. That's what it's waiting for. Dude, that's a really beautiful, like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. No wonder, no wonder we've actually come up as Christians with the scientific method. Totally. Yeah, like, we should have. To, yeah. to say, like, hold on. I mean, like, the, the philosophy that the, the mind can um, actually um, uh, uh, understand the thing, that there can be coherence, yes. that, that creation is an intelligible reality. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Of course that flows from Christianity. It should. And, 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 and has actually transformed everything. Yes. And in, in some ways, like, we've lost that spirit that that's actually the, the intention yes. of why we're here is actually that understanding is critical. Well, and it makes sense. Again, if you go on to read the rest of what Paul says, he says, For creation was made subject to futility, not of its own accord, but because of the one who subjected it. Who subjected creation? This is a debate the scholars have. Like, what is this? Pa- this is my dissertation has to do with this passage. Oh, okay. But people are always like, well, wait, wait. Who subjected, uh, who subjected creation? Was it God? Was it human beings? But I mean, if, if creation has been broken, who broke it? Us. Us. Adam and Eve, right? Through our sin, creation is broken. So now that Christ has redeemed it, who is it waiting for? Us. The, us. Which makes sense because we're the ones who broke it in the first place. Christ created it. The word created it. We broke it. The word redeemed it. Now we have to figure out what that looks like. Wow. Yeah. That's why I like the Gothic project. The Gothic project is to say, 
what does the heavenly Jerusalem, what does the heavenly temple look like? Hmm. Let's actually achieve 144 feet uh, interior. I mean, that's really? that's that's what the measurement of, of a Gothic cathedral was. Is is, uh, is, is the, they're trying to accomplish? Really? Yeah, the measurements of the that. temple in heaven. You're kidding me. I didn't know that. Yeah, I should have known that. And so, the, so there's, Man. so it's, it's this. It, I mean, this is the thing: is that what, a, what a masterful people yeah. who are saying, no, okay, created order is actually meant to image the heavenly yes. realities. Yes, that's it. But and then let's cooperate with that, and let's keep going on that project. Yes, that's it. That's it, man. Wow, that's cool. That's dude. rich. That's rich. Good podcast, dude. Good podcast to you. I uh, I'm walking away from this enriched and like fruitful, man. I want to like, <laughs> oh, nice. I want to get some grain or something. Well like, done, well played, <laughs> well played. Hey, man, it's good stuff, man. Yeah, well, because you know, Jesus says, "Whoever uh, you know, I'm going to plant some corn," because he says, "Whoever has ears ought to hear." Oh, that was oh, oh baby. Oh, ears did, of corn, everyone, get did, it? Did I just ruin the whole podcast with I think that one you right may there? Have. Yeah, maybe I, so. I think I did. It's all right. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> They're never going to listen again. Yeah, they just they just kind of puked in their mouth a little bit. <laughs> Didn't we all? Didn't we all? All right, everybody. Goodbye. Bye-bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.